0: Hey, everyone. Thanks so much for coming to this wonderful panel that we've got and mixer. There's booze and food. So um, it's called Black in Tech in Utah. We should have done a dot 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 in Utah (laughs) because I think that adds a whole nother nuance of things. I'm Sunny Washington, and I'm the CEO of Utah Tech Leads, and we are a a, an association that works with tech companies. Uh, We do panels like this, but then we also lobby and legislate on on the Hill um, and run our own candidates because we want to have better representation with the Utah State Legislature. Um, We've got. I'm going to let everybody go ahead and you know go ahead and introduce themselves and the companies that they're they're from, but we're really excited to share this, and I appreciate you guys coming
1: to listen to this important topic. Hi, everybody. I'm Nikki Walker. I'm the Director of Community Engagement and Diversity, Equity, and Inclusion at Domo.
2: Thank you. Uh, Hello. I'm Connie Washington, and I am VP of People, Partners, NDE, and I at Progressive
3: Leasing.
0: Just need to point out that these two ladies got promotions in the last two weeks,
3: so. <laughs> black
0: History Month, Woo-hoo. Right,
3: right, right. Hi, I'm Camille Nugent. I'm art director at Life Vantage, but I'm also a fine artist, creative, and graphic
4: designer. Hi, I'm Marlon Lindsey, founder and CEO of 21 Ed.
0: Okay, so let's just get it out there. I mean, there's like 1.5% black people in Utah. Less in tech. Why the hell are you guys working in tech? (laughs) Like, just just tell me, like, why? Like, I want to know about your company's D, E, and I strategy, why you would go there where you are going to be the only or one of the onlys there.
1: Okay. Okay. Well, I come from a background where I'm usually one of the onlys. Um, whether it's been in um, the college that I went to or the school programs that I was in, um, I've always been the only, whether that meant woman or black person or black woman, um, as it is here in Utah. And... What happens when you are the only is that your voice is amplified if you use it correctly. So there's a platform um, in tech for black people, for all people of color, um, who would like to make a change and who want to see changes. And the fact of the matter is tech the tech space is the most lucrative space to be in, and we should have access to it. And so I use my voice in my space as one of the onlys to ensure that other people um, have access and that their barriers are are removed.
2: Good question. I got into tech accidentally, but I realized the last three companies I've worked for have been tech companies, and I've been the only two. Um, And it's you're starting to see more, and and so that's nice. I think it's just that we don't have that visibility. Our organization is nationwide. So when the uh, Spring Awakening of a couple of years ago occurred, um, we brought uh, many of our black folks together, and they were stunned. There's about 120 or so, but they hadn't seen each other. They didn't know... They existed. So looking at their faces, they were like, I just had no idea. And they've stayed connected and built those relationships. So that's been a benefit of of what happened a couple of years ago, that it forced conversations, it forced activities that um, kind of amplified the vision of companies. And you got to see who really is a part of that company, which was a, a, a positive for us for sure.
3: I have also been one of the onlys um, in my time here in Utah, but I'm from Jamaica. I just met Ron tonight. You guys are like best friends
0: already. Within two seconds, I said you're both from Jamaica.
3: (laughs) 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 So I come from a place where the majority is Jamaican. Yes, we have um, many different cultures, and the motto of Jamaica is out of many one people, so you'll find Asians and East Indians and Europeans, and there are white Jamaicans, black Jamaicans. But you come here to Utah, and even in school, there was the a group of black students, they're Polynesian students, but primarily the majority is white. And you see that reflected all over the state. So any job that I have had, I've been the only black person, sometimes the only woman or one of very few women. And as Nikki, as Nikki said, your voice tends to be amplified. So if you look at the at black designers in general across the country, um, it's always, it's been in the single digits, even up till I think the last survey by the AIGA which is the American Institute for Graphic Arts, was, I think, max was 4.8% to 3 to 4.8% of all designers in text. That could be graphic design, it could be UX, it could be UI. These are the people who, um, <clears throat> like me, are the face of the company. Like, anything you'll see from social media to podcasts to billboards, any kind of printed collateral, they're the ones who put it out there for the company. So... We have the chance as designers to make our voices heard visually, um, to represent diversity and equity—not just um, as people of color, but as women. As um, you can represent gender identity, sexual orientation, everything. So we have the power visually to show that, and I've been doing that here in my time in Utah. Marlon, what about you? Uh,
4: so. Um... You know, so that that Jamaican heritage, uh, there's there's no place we can't go, there's no where, there's no place we don't belong. So that's in me, um, but I've been the only for for a very long time. But I want to uh, uh, share a couple of stories. So early in my sales career, you know, one of the things that uh, got me motivated to to um, to get into new territories was this story. Uh, uh, this, this this shoe company, I um, uh, wanted to expand their markets and. And uh, the CEO said uh, to their top sales guy, hey, uh, I want you to go, go to Africa and, and take a look and see see what's happening out there, over there in the shoe market. And a uh, guy flew to Africa uh, um, on the private jet, stepped up, looked around, came back, uh, told the CEO, um, you know, they, they just don't wear shoes in Africa. I just don't think that's a good market. So the CEO was a very thorough. It's 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 a story. It's it's not real. It's not real. I heard. It's a story. So the, the CEO was very thorough. I mean, he got where he was because, you know, he uh, he didn't just take one opinion. So he sent his his, uh, his, his second best sales guy out to Africa. Uh, he got off the plane. Um, he looked around and went a little farther in. Jumped back on the plane. He said, "Boss, you can't believe what I saw in Africa." Nobody's wearing shoes in Africa, right? So the market was there. And in tech, it's not a matter of if. It's just a matter of when uh, we need to get into tech. So let me throw out a couple of things. Um, Right now, automation, robotics, uh, artificial intelligence, and other emerging technologies are changing everything. You won't even be able to get a job at McDonald's without a tech background, a STEM background. You won't be able to function in a non-techy field without a STEM background, a tech background. So uh, if it's just a matter of um, if, um, and, and not, uh, when and not if, the time is now, and Utah is Africa. Ain't a whole lot of us out here. <laughs> and you, <laughs> you, could, you, could, you could chart a course and, and get some market share in Utah.
0: That's a great story. Um, do you tell that story to your kids at night? I do. I, I, yeah. <laughs> I could listen to you all day. Connie, you said something really interesting. You said that it's actually growing and it's getting better. Is that what you're observing at your companies, that there's more diversity? I mean, tell, tell me a little bit about that.
2: Yeah, I think companies are more intentional about it now, and they're thinking about it. You know, with covid Everybody went home on March 13th for a couple of weeks, and two years later, we're staying home. So the beauty of that is now we have employees all over the country. Mm -hmm. So it was primarily Draper, Utah, and Phoenix, Arizona, where we were hiring. COVID blew that up, and we're getting people from all over the country. Mm. So that's a fantastic opportunity for the diversity of thought as well as all the other aspects of diversity, Um, and we're seeing the benefit. We um, last year hired a a black chief compliance officer. So, you know, that's – you see very few chief black people in Utah mm-hmm. in the organizations. But I was I was really pleased that, that that happened because that's some visibility. That's a voice, you know, at the table with the influence that is beneficial to understand the experience that, that we have. Yeah. So, yeah, it's exciting.
0: Yeah. Uh, and, Nikki, tell me – you know, I, f- I feel like of the tech companies in Utah, Domo has really let out. I know that – Uh, Josh James is
1: a white guy so tell me like why it is a priority for Delmo yeah absolutely and Connie said the word intentional and 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 I want to kind of build on that we understand diversity of thought as well. In order to make a good product, you have to be able to understand your customer. And if there are five cisgender white guys at the table building products, then it is very likely that they are going to miss opportunities or miss um, uh, situations where other people might have problems with that solution that they're creating. So the more diverse, um, people that you have that are building and creating, the more relative and relatable that that product is going to be, um, to a global market. And our company is a global company and Josh James has a heart for people. Um, and that's what I learned when I first went to, to Domo. But in the, in, in being intentional, he hired a director of diversity in 2017. Um and you know, we all in the tech world know who who that was. Cameron Williams, may he rest in peace. Um, and Cameron was intentional about um, amplifying voices, whether they were black voices or or uh, LGBTQ voices or veteran voices. He was intentional about that and um, and it's my intent, and domo's intent to carry that on. So the last I want to say that the last quarter of 2019 we actually had a 38 percent of our new hires that were either women or of marginalized communities and that happened because we intentionally said we're going to change our hiring policies and if there is not a woman or a person from a marginalized community on the slate to be interviewed. We won't do the interview. So HR went to work and you know, and that's work. It's hard work to find the needle in the haystack because it's not about hiring black people or brown people or gay people or whatever. It's about hiring the people who have the best ability. It's about hiring the best person for, for the job. And what happens is that, and I say it all the time, if you ever have heard me spoke speak, I always say it, opportunity is distributed equally, but, um, I'm sorry, talent is distributed equally, but opportunity is not. And so until people understand that they have an opportunity, they're not gonna bring themselves to the table. So it was our job to go out and seek reach out to people that we never reach out to. You think about recruiting, people recruit the people that they know. And if your circle is homogenous, then the industry begins to look homogenous. And so we did things such as hired um, a company called Jopwell, which specifically looks at uh, diverse talent. And we brought them on board as a partner. We worked with the Black Chamber and the Asian Chamber um, to make sure that we were getting the word out to these qualified individuals who simply didn't have access to us. Um, And so it's about intentionality. It really is about being intentional. And and for Domo, again, we are a global company and we need our products um, to work for everybody. And so diversity of thought is always first top of mind for us.
0: Yeah, I really love that, that. You know, d- thinking and being intentional about, about, about diversity is good business. You build better products. You build better companies. You build better teams. Camille, I have a question for you. So, Camille, something you guys don't know is Camille and I go way back. Uh, we met in 2002. 2002. So, some of you may have not been born. <laughs> Let's just be real. Um, but Camille and I worked for an American Ford company yeah this Jamaican Korean, and then our other best friend was this Armenian girl an American fork right like of a hundred person company It was great, and we've been best friends for for since that time but you know when when you're in that environment, you need i mean it's you've, you've got you're working with a lot of white people. Um, how can white people be allies, and what are some examples of allyship that you've seen in your career?
3: I think the first part of being an ally is being willing to ask questions and to listen for answers and to see how you can change, how you can make a difference. Um, as far as working with the kinds of companies I have worked with here in Utah, sometimes it's like me bringing an idea to the table or me proposing something visually for the company. Like I said, maybe I'll just pepper and some more black faces in the artwork that I do. Or even, I don't know, Asians talk about other cultures as we're doing it. And I'd have to present it to my boss, my manager, maybe sometimes ladder up to the VP or CEO and these are the people who make the decisions. I may not be in the rooms where the final decisions are made or the papers are signed, but I can start at the at the base level, making these decisions, ladder them up. And as allies, as white allies in these industries, they can say yes. Sometimes a yes is all it takes to start with that change.
0: I love that. Marlon, a question for you. So what are some of the things you think tech companies need to do to attract and retain? I mean, attracting is one thing. Retention, I mean, Connie just showed me an article about the, the lack of retention of black um, people in tech, right? And so, what do tech companies need to do to help with those, those efforts?
4: So, I, I think the first thing that uh, we have to stop doing is um, making diversity an exception. All right, So we have a diversity policy, not a ver- not a diverse culture, for example. So we, it, it can't be, we can't just have a, so yes, we need to have deliberate steps to, to, to transform the culture into a diverse culture, but it can't just be a diversity program. Um, in, in our company, we, we embrace diversity as our, our superpower, um, not because it's a cool thing to do, because it's the thing to do. You can't uh, serve a market. You can't serve a country um, that looks uh, um, pretty diverse with a homogeneous um, workforce. So, um, and, and then the cultural piece of it is, you know, it's not one or two um, uh, diverse groups that you have in the, in the company. It's, it's what are you doing? How, how are you embracing diversity? So you can hire a black person or an LGBTQ person, or a woman, and put them in, in places, but do you embrace the, all of that, that person? So we have, to, we have to shift from from policy to, to culture to retain um, uh, uh, people of uh, a, diverse, uh, a diverse workforce. And, and, and that's, somebody's got to think about that. Somebody's got to uh, think about what that means, uh, which means you have to talk to your people. You have to ask them what kind of food... You like. You have to have like real conversations. You know, how are your kids? What do they do? What do you, What do you like to do? You have to talk to them like they're not just um, an other, but they're a part of the culture. And and when you when you create that environment, ain't nobody going anywhere.
0: So do you bring like jerk chicken to to, to
4: work? So, so inter- interestingly, you <laughs> I would like to. We're we're, we're pretty we're um, we're pretty virtual um, in terms of the the company. We're kind of spread out, but we embrace. William, you bring it, all right? Come as you are. Yeah, bring yeah. who you are. Not just, not just um, who you are, right? And, and so I, I make this distinction very deliberately. Who you are is a bunch of stuff that you put on yourself, right? How you are, right? right? You're born with that. We want you to bring that. And it includes everything about you.
3: I'm coming for the jerk chicken.
4: <laughs> yeah, and the I, jerk I, chicken. I, I, will say, I, will say, I will say I have a, I have a Traeger uh, smoker, and I, 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 I make some mean jerks. So okay, so pull party at my house this summer. Right. It.
0: Yeah, it's <laughs> done, yeah. <Yes. laughs> okay, Nikki, I have a question for you. Where would you like to see better representation of black people in Utah?
1: Can I say everywhere?
0: I know. I, I, I don't want to
1: so I think um, where well I think that black people need to be at the table we understand it's 1.5% of the population that population is in fact growing the diversity in Utah is in fact growing if you actually look at the numbers I think right now we're something like 32% diverse in throughout the state, uh, which is a big deal, uh, considering that one group of diverse people are only 1.5%. You put us all together, now we are Voltron, and we have power, and there is power in numbers. And, um, you know, I, I'd love to see more diversity, or I'd love to see more black women uh, in politics. I would love to see more um, black women on the Hill with the decision-making power, sitting at the table, listening to the ideas and ideals that are coming down the pipeline, and being able to share different perspectives. Um, Because at the end of the day, that's what it is about. It is about perspectives. And we can't leave out a group of people because they're not in our friend circle. We can't leave out a group of people because we don't see them every day. You know, I remember when we first moved to Utah, my son's, sitting right here. Um, we would. I live in Utah County, and we would go to the grocery store, and small children would stop and stare at my son. And once one of those small children pointed and said, there's one right there. That's a problem. That's a huge problem. We've learned to take those opportunities as uh, educational opportunities to share with people. But again, right now, um, as the legislation, as the legislature is in session, um, there is a bill on the floor that talks about hair discrimination. And last session, when that bill was on the floor, it was dismissed because it was there was a group of white men who were making the decision on whether or not it passed. And hair discrimination is not something that they face. My son has dreadlocks down the back of his back he faces hair discrimination. Sometimes I like to go natural. I could face hair discrimination. People could take it as unprofessional rather than cultural. People will take it as disrespectful, rather as proud. And we need to be able to make sure that we're changing those perspectives um, by showing up and being there. And um, and so I'd, I'd like to see a more diverse uh, political sphere here in Utah.
0: Yeah, you bring up a good point. The current legislature is 93% white and male, so that's not even reflective of the state, you know. Um, And then when you think of black individuals or even black women, that number gets smaller and smaller, and we're talking less than a percent. Um, And you bring up an important point with what uh, the bill, the Crown Act, as it's called, it's uh, Senate Bill 117, run by Derek Kitchen. Um, It's an important bill because... I understand that you know, even like a guy like Derek Kitchen who has no Riddle. hair, you know, he probably, he's not <laughs> facing it. Um, but how important it might mean to you and the lives that you live and why that matters. Um, let's talk about hair. So I, I have a, an experience to share. Uh, Camille was at my house. We were ha- at a pool party, and this lady came over we had just met her that day so I, and i don't want to speak ill of her um but it's more about a story of what i i didn't know what to do but she started grabbing camille's hair and touching it and i was like and i she didn't know what to say i didn't know what to say we were both looking at each other and we were both having that like what the you know thought
3: yeah and there are people around so you don't want to be like Oh they calling this person. Yeah, out. you don't want to be
0: rude, but I didn't know what to do. And after after it was over, I had to text Camille and I was like, "I was horrified. <laughs> what what are what do we do? What do we do to show allyship? What do we do to show that, you know, when it does happen because th- those things just need to be nipped up." And I don't think she was trying to be rude. We all <laughs> recognize that. It's just curiosity and all of that. But um, you know, I I didn't know what to do. And I mean, I'm like I knew it was wrong, but I didn't know how to call it out. What, what should I have done, Camille?
3: It's not just allyship, that's the question, but even in my case where I didn't know what to say or do as she was doing it to me in my space, on my body, um, even if I was wearing extensions at the time, yes, they're extensions of me, but it's still part of me, and she, this person felt it was her right to do this. And I think being in this culture for so long, in Jamaica, there's no way, no way somebody could do that to you. But being here in Utah for so long, like, I had, I had no words for it. So I think we need to maybe figure out conversations about this before these things happen again. Like, what do you say? I think from now on, like, that, that was actually kind of a shocking experience for me. Was it last year?
0: Yeah, know? I think it was last year. Like, yeah. now I
3: say, no, no. Yeah, I appreciate you like my hair, but please don't. But I mean, it's it's a hard conversation. Especially for children. So my niece, she lives in um, in Portland, but I think this happened when she was living in Alabama. She's thirteen now. It's happened when she was eleven or twelve. The kids at her school um, would just come up to her and scrunch her hair because she's half white, half black, and she has glorious hair, beautiful, beautiful. Like, I wouldn't even just say this to her because I was, I would say to her, "Oh, your hair looks beautiful. Can I can I touch it?" Because I, you know, you want to have children, say you have the autonomy to say, OK, this is my body. Yes, you can come into my space. Yes, you can you know, maybe explore this part of my body, yes. But um, she was shocked, she didn't know what to say. Her mom at the time didn't know what to say. She wrote a song about it. She, she was depressed for like half a school year. We have to be able to have these conversations in ourselves with our friends, with our children. <laughs> yeah. It's not just the allyship, but how we can use our own voices yeah. to protect ourselves.
0: Yeah. So, I mean, I felt awful. I thought about it for days. I still think about it of, like, what was I supposed to do? I think we were just so shocked at the time. Can
1: yeah. I say something? Yeah. I want to, I, I just want to build on that for a second, because we do have a room full of people who are not black. And this is a really important Situation. Um, it happens far too often here in Utah. I have a lot of black friends. I got a lot of white friends. I've got a lot of LDS friends. You know, my friends are from Utah, but in my black community, we have this discussion often because often once a week somebody is having this experience, and I want to be very clear to everybody here. First of all, that's somebody's personal space you're not allowed in other people's personal space, whether that person is black, white, green, or purple. But when a black person's personal space is invaded, it really sparks a trauma that is in our genetic DNA. And it is the most unfortunate feeling. It's a it's a feeling of helplessness and hopelessness. We come from a place where we have been put on display for people to come and touch and look, and feel, and judge, and purchase. So it is the ultimate disrespect to come to a person who is a person of color, a black person specifically, in a place where they are supposed to be equal to you and for them to be treated like property. And that is the reality. And the allyship in this moment is for every white person here to have this conversation at their dinner table with their children, with their friends, with their colleagues, because there's no way else to share this. But it's important, and it, it, it needs to be shared.
0: That's super powerful. I love that. That's, drop the mic on that one, Sis. Connie, you're, you're a lifelong Utah. I sure am. Born and bred. Yeah. your, your parents Your parents were here.
2: My dad came here at the age of 12 from from Missouri because his parents had to send him away to get his education. Right. Because where he lived, he was going to have to start picking, uh, going to the tobacco fields um, at 12. So they put their 10-year-old and 12-year-old boys on a train with a sack lunch and sent them to the aunt here who promised she would get them their education if they would send them away.
0: Hmm. And they mo- and when your your parents got married, they moved to Rose Park. Tell us a little bit about the reaction. Yeah. And I mean, you're not that old, so this was not Thank that you. long ago. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> not that long ago at all.
2: Um, yeah, it was 1961 when they moved um, to the home that they purchased. is actually considered Fair Park, just outside of Rose Park. And um, my mom was a nurse. My dad had worked for the federal government. They had good jobs. Four children. So they found a home, said, there it is, and, and put the offer down, and the neighbors filed a petition. They were like, nope, you don't know. You can't come here. And they were like, yes, we can. And so they fought the petition, and you know, they, they purchased their home. But they knew right away that they didn't want them there. But it ended up there were more and more, so they couldn't fight it. That's where a lot of black folks landed. But, yeah, that was, that was their experience.
0: Yeah. And it's interesting as you watch your parents go through that and kind of the trauma that happens, that it gets transferred into when you go into spaces where mostly white, you know, are you going to be welcomed? You know, are you going to be accepted? And I think that that's important to recognize that when you're the only and visibly only, you know, you stand out. And so, you know, that allyship is important for all of us to show, to, to welcome you into those spaces, right? So. And having
2: the conversations. Yes. Um, with, same thing happened to, I can't believe we all have hair stories, but it happened to me. <laughs> of course you do. At, <laughs> yeah, it happened to me at the dentist, and, you know, I was sharing it on a team call with a bunch of folks at work, probably 20 or so, and I told them that, you know, the dental hygienist liked my braid, so she was like, I'm going in, and she went in for the kill. And... I was like, oh, and I didn't say anything. And they're like, you're so bold, Connie. Why would you not say anything? I said, because I didn't want to make a scene. I'm in a little office. I'm going to say, don't touch my hair. She's going to be devastated. Might mess my teeth up. I don't want that to happen. <laughs> um, but so that is where you can say to, you know, in your spaces to say that, you know, you shouldn't do that. I, I talked to a coworker. We were talking about an interaction he had at a baseball game. And he said, somebody said the N-word. And he said, there's a black guy there and he didn't do anything. I said, We don't want to have to be the ones to call people out. You do it. He was like, Oh my God, you changed my life. I can't believe it. I got to go find him and apologize. But it was a wake up call. He was like, I didn't, I just didn't understand why he wouldn't stand up for himself. I said, Because we're tired of standing up for ourselves. We're tired of, Being the ones to say, don't call me that, don't say that word, don't touch my hair, don't, we don't want to, you know, we will, but then you're the angry black woman. Oh, Lord, there she goes, stay away from her, she's angry. No, I'm just standing up for myself. So we're fighting the battles of perception and, you know, this is the, the challenge you go through. Do I say something, do I not say something? I should have said something. Why didn't I say something? Oh, my God, I don't have boldness. Yes, I do have boldness. Why didn't I say something? And over somebody doing something to me. That's the insanity of, of what we face. So having these conversations, it's education. Just talk. Let's talk about it. Ask the diff- difficult question.
0: Let's, let's talk about that education a little bit. Marlon, you're in the education space, but this is a different kind of education. So when, you know, uh, George Floyd was murdered and that all happened, um, you know, suddenly it sparked a lot of conversation. I know me and my husband, we went out to dinner with some neighbors of ours. We're probably the only people of color that they know. Um, and um, they. I remember they wanted to talk about it. And they said, can, can we ask? And, you know, it was like the, the, the timidness. And I, I reflected. We had this conversation back at home where it was like, if they don't ask us, we really have no one to ask. So we have to let them... Ask some questions because they don't want to offend, they don't want to do the wrong thing, but they don't know where else to get that information. I mean, you live in Vineyard. Yeah. <laughs> so, Did you hear the way she said that? Yeah, so, yeah, yeah. And for those of you that don't know,
4: that vineyard, yeah. it's, it's, all, it's almost like, what the hell is <laughs> <in there? laughs> That's what I heard.
0: <laughs> i don't want to i don't want to throw shame but it is predominantly white for even utah yeah. so okay so yeah. so what were those conversations like i mean did you have them what i know it was exhausting what what did you do
4: so you know interestingly enough a cool thing happened in vineyard um uh one of our neighbors tentatively tentatively asked us um would we um they wanted to do a backyard thing to talk about this, and would we participate? And uh, we said yes, absolutely. So uh, the whole family, um, we got together in a neighbor's backyard and we talked about it, and that was cool. Um, and then, and then the conversation opened up about um, white folks not knowing what to do, and, it, and and isn't it tricky that we live in this world and we have this this um, unspoken fear uh, of 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 other people, right? And so uh, that's that's the piece that we have to really talk about. You know, diversity is not just our responsibility. Um, it's our responsibility, really. It's just a, it's a, it's a better world when we include everybody. Um, and you have to confront your fear of the other, right? What is that based on? What are you afraid of, right? And so so, yeah, in Vineyard, we had some really cool conversations about it. But, but a conversation, one conversation does not uh, a happy world makes, right? So we have to continue to, to talk. And so, so, so let, me, let me just, um, so we walk around every day. I was trying to, my wife is white. So I try to, you know, we have, have these conversations. It's like we, I walk around every day black. That means um, I'm wondering if you have something against me. I don't have anything against you. Right. I'm wondering if you have something. Am I safe? Can I be me? And so if you see a black person who looks pissed off, that's, that. I'm defensive. I'm ready for battle in case you judge me by the color of my skin. You're going to try to offend me or discriminate against me. Or we walk around in fear, just timid, afraid to be our full selves. Right? And so you can, you, can, you can just break the ice. Say hi with a big smile. And we can too. Or if we break the ice because we're always... Look, we've learned to survive, so I'ma smile at you, right? Uh, that's you gonna see a smile on my face, mostly. But but I have a, I have a, a very serious disposition, and you might think I'm I'm pissed off, but I'm but I'm not. Uh, but if you engage me, the smile opens up. So we have to uh, eliminate this fear and have these conversations. So I'm really grateful to my neighbor who said, "Hey, I don't know about all this stuff. I want to learn." Can we talk about it? So in our little vineyard, we at least have one conversation. (laughs) Well, I'd love to see that. (laughs) (laughs) Did you do that? I'm just saying, man. Okay, we got
0: some work to do in Draper. Yeah. Draper. (laughs) Yeah. No, thank you, Marlon, for sharing that. I know that was such a tough time and it was exhausting. And I think a lot of stress in the conversations that we're having, and there was almost this like you guys are living it all the time, and now it had to be talked about all the time, and it was invading work and media and you know social circles, so that was that was tough so I appreciate I appreciate anytime anyone reaches out and helps to educate, you know even though it it's, it doesn't have it shouldn't always be your responsibility, but you know I think that there is this element of us when we do do that that it changes lives and perceptions because I know that you know if they know you they're like oh my gosh I didn't I didn't realize that that's the experience that you're having um, yeah can,
4: can I just jump? Sure. so it does get exhausting you know we um, uh, we're always um, y- you walk around having to be the better person we're always the teacher uh, um, and that's and that's t- it really is tiring so if we can share the burden. Um, it would be really helpful. And again, I'm, I'm, my, um, my, my wife, my kids, they say, Dad, you keep saying the same thing over and over and over. I repeat myself. Um, we're, we're just better for it. We're, we're not asking for an exception. Diversity shouldn't be considered, oh, uh, uh, we're cool because we have a strong diversity plan. I have a black neighbor and I have kids in my classroom, a black teacher. That's exceptionalism. You shouldn't, when we get there, we shouldn't even see it. And that's and that's a good thing for all of us. We shouldn't even see it. So I shouldn't have to touch your hair because it's different. So we're just seeing, we're being othered all the time, and you're being othered because you're othering us. Right? So it's like the Buddha says, when you go to kill somebody, dig two graves because you're going to die too. A part of you will. So when you discriminate against anybody, you're really discriminating against yourself as well. So we have to fix that.
0: You know, I'm just in awe because, you know, I think that sometimes it's so quick to dismiss Utah um, and dismiss – you know, diversity and just say, oh, that's Utah and that's the what, what you have to put up with. But I look at four incredibly strong people, you know, on the stage that have made phenomenal careers and working, for, you know, building their own companies and brands and, you know, building amazing things at, at the companies and the value that they add. And I think, like, honestly... I'm just going to say it. Like if a bunch of the white tech CEOs walked in, they'd be like, holy shit, where did these guys come from? Like they would look in this room and be like, how would you guys all get together, you know? And there is pockets of greatness happening. Um, And I love that we get to amplify the voices. So what I want to do is have you guys, with the last question, tell me what is the one thing you would love to see tech do to make it better for Black, our black brothers and sisters here in Utah, and then we're going to open it up for questions. So, who wants to go first? I'm looking at you, Nick. Are you going to go? Do you got your answer?
3: This was not a question. On uh, the, I could go. Okay, I okay, want to build on what Marlon, Marlon said. Yeah. Um, so, I mentioned earlier that in the tech industry nationwide, so Silicon Valley, Silicon Slopes, wherever, as far as designers go, they're only three to less than five percent of us. Um, and then, in the wake of the George Floyd murder, there was a, an organization that popped up called "Where Are the Black Designers," and that name came from a talk by another designer. In I think he was based in Atlanta, and he gave this talk at South by Southwest. If you have the time, look it up. It's very interesting. It's only like 30 to 45 minutes. Where Where are the Black Designers? So he poses this question, and I mean yes it's a in and of itself it's a great question but it's not one that i feel like we should have to ask um so i bring up where are the black designers because last year i was invited to submit work for a virtual exhibition um, my brother put me in contact with this he's also a designer and as, as i was submitting my work i thought about it and i was like okay I, i've heard of black designers i see black designers there are a few pockets here and there in utah um, a few years ago, I helped curate a show at Adobe for Black History Month, another one for Juneteenth. And with the first show, there were five of us artists. Out of I, I, I was looking everywhere for artists to, to do the show. And then the second one, I think, it was less than 10. And I was like, okay, it's Utah, yeah. There's, it's not very diverse. This is what we get. But with the Where Are the Black Designers show all over the world, this was a worldwide um, exhibition. There were 300? designers and artists and the creativity and the voices that were um, given space and amplified I mean they're phenomenal but there really aren't that many that many of us so I think um, back to your question what can what would we like to see I, I would like to not have that question be posed like I don't want to be I don't want have to be identified as a black designer or a black artist I want to be Oh, I'm a designer. I'm an artist. I'm Camille. That's just who I am. I don't want it to black to have to be the qualifier, even though right now it is, and maybe in my lifetime it will still be that way. But I'd like to see that go away. I'd like to just be recognized for my work without having to have that other qualifier be added to it.
1: I gotta agree with you on that one, because um, the other title in tech, you know, when you're a woman, it's She's so phenomenal, this woman in tech. How about this person in tech, right? How about not this black woman who is doing X, Y, Z? How about this phenomenal DEI director or community engagement director is doing X? Um, because what hap- it dehumanizes you when you are referred to by the things, the qualities that are physical to you. Uh, you are a black woman, a black gay woman, a black veteran who also is a woman. Do you know what I mean? It takes away from who you are as an individual, as a human. Um, and it, it separates you. like It others you. And I think what we want, what I would like to see in the tech community, is um, more action and less talking. More action and less talking. And I And I see that movement happening. It's not happening fast enough for me. Um, but when George Floyd was murdered, Domo led the way to making this public statement that Black Lives Matter, right? And in 48 hours, we got something like 240 companies in the Valley to sign their name to this thing that we did. We put an ad in the newspaper we ran, and then we put billboards up. 240-something companies is a lot, and I have not seen... The I have not seen the fruit off the vine yet, so I would like for folks to do more doing and less talking, if that's fair.
2: Yeah, that's a powerful question. Um, The I think the leaders of organizations that they're not mostly they're not of color. So I'd love to see for them to really embrace it to make sure that we all feel valued and that that we matter in that organization. And I just, I don't know how they can without having the conversations and digging, but, but everybody's not interested in doing that. So we have to do what we can from where we are. And speak when we can and again and again, and have the conversations and when when the george floyd situation happened or murder, um, I, I ended up talking to a bunch of law firms for whatever reason they reached out and and my my the, the title was let 's talk we just have to learn to talk to have a safe place for me to, me to say the wrong thing or for you to say the wrong thing and for me to not, you're not my enemy because you said the wrong thing. You just have to learn, there's ignorance. I have ignorance, you have ignorance. Let's just talk about it and break down the barriers that have developed. You know, we thought when you know, Barack Obama was president it was like, well, it's solved. Race problem solved, America, we got a black president. Well, here we are a few <laughs> years later, it's not been solved. That didn't, that didn't go uh, the way that I think everybody had hoped on that day when the votes came in. So we have to continue to talk, and we have to continue to educate and make it safe for them to ask the question. And, you know, it, no question's a dumb question. If you don't know, you don't know. I'm, I've been here my whole life, and I've had lots of interesting questions. I'd go somewhere, and I'd tell people. They'd be like, where are you from? And I'd say, Utah. And I'd see the face, like... <laughs> There's not any black people there. And I'd say, there are. Carl uh, Malone and our family, they're like, that's all? I'm like, no, there's a few more, but they would, re- you know. But we just talk. I mean, we don't, you know, I don't want to shame you. I don't want to, we just have to talk and continue to break down the barriers and make it safe. Make it safe for me to show up in the workplace or wherever I am with my natural hair, with braids. When I cut my hair, stopped relaxing my hair, I had an intentional conversation with myself of, This might screw up my career. This may be, I may not go any further because I'm not, I can't do it anymore. I've had chemicals in my hair for 40 years. I'm tired of it. I hope I still have a job. And I I walked into the job going, ooh, and it was fine. It was, you know, but some people were probably, you know, kind of like, what happened to your hair? Or, you know, and then I got braids, and they're like, oh, my God, I didn't know your hair was so long. I'm like, it did not grow two feet overnight. These are extensions. Let's talk about it. But, but I was worried when I got it braided. I thought, now they're going to be like, she can't be a leader in this company to have braids. And when I cut it off, like, oh, God, she's got an afro. She cannot be a leader in this company. That's what I worried about. And that's just ridiculous. Ridiculous. Shouldn't have to do that. So.
3: I worry about the same things every single time I change my hair. I just had an afro last month i've done braids i've had like Shouldn't i've had a innocent. weave i've had my natural hair i've had straightened hair every single time like
0: oh. what are people gonna, <sighs> what say?
3: Are they gonna say yeah
2: we clearly need a big discussion <laughs> about hair <laughs> in the state of utah i don't know yeah.
4: well, that I'm might be do the do next exactly. uh, session so. yeah yeah. <laughs> yeah
0: well let's talk about your hair Marlon. <laughs> you know, is it
4: natural you know, this or this, <laughs> this is it <laughs> i don't have a whole lot of problems with my hair um but I have daughters and mothers and cousins and nieces, and it's not just here in Utah, um, and you don't you, you don't mess with a black woman's hair. It's just we I know that.
0: So if you get anything from tonight, yeah, yeah that's to like the one lesson. Here
4: we are
0: but what what would you like to see tech do?
4: Um, you know I, I would love to see uh, the diversity um, uh, so, n- n- let me say this. I would love to see the development of a diverse culture um, uh, as the responsibility of, of the, leadership, the leadership in, uh, in tech. Um, so I, I am thrilled that we're promoting black women to powerful positions of DNI. Um, but I want that to be a direct link to our leadership and, and that the work is a partnership, that you're supported from the top, as a cultural shift, and not just a diversity program. I'm, I'm done with diversity program. I want to see leadership from the top. Um, embrace diversity as a strategic objective. There are dollar signs. Oh, by the way, let me tell you something. There are dollar signs attached to diversity, right? You can make a lot of money if you embrace a diverse culture in your organizations, Right, I remember. I won't. I won't. I won't name the company. But my first company I worked with here in Utah, um, you know, uh, most most of uh, the folks didn't know that they existed. You know, um, folks outside of Utah. And then when we got there, we started talking about diversity, and then we became more diverse. And the the people that we served were also diverse. And so it was it was cool to have me represent. You know, stand in front of those folks. And we were able to, to close some deals because I was there um, representing the company from Utah. So this is, not, this is not charity we're talking about. Truly, if you're deliberate and intentional about uh, creating a diverse culture, um, the, it will show up on your balance sheet. Just saying.
0: So, do it for the dollars. Look, At if least you can't, do it for the dollars. If you yeah. can't
4: do it, if you can't do it from a place in your heart, do it for the greenback. Yeah. Right, that works. That works.
3: So, we have, we have, oh, go ahead, Camille. Yeah. I have homework for everyone. Please watch the documentary Good Hair by Chris Rock. Yes. Yeah. That is
0: a good documentary.
3: Um,
0: so, we have to, a few minutes for questions. Um, don't be shy. Um, but we'll, we'll bring the microphone over to you. Any questions here? I don't know if I need a mic. I thought you raised your
5: hand. Yeah, I did. Oh, I just okay. said I don't know if I need a mic. Um, thank you for your words today. And thank you for creating this panel. It's been really awesome to be here today. Um, I have been shocked at the polarization in our country. And I think my Pollyanna attitude toward life has been shocked in the last year or two that the rainbow has become so politicized that if you put a rainbow on something, all of a sudden it's really political. And me just wearing my Black Lives Matter t-shirt at the grocery store has gotten looks and... And I'm like, matter has become a has become a political word. And I've even had... I had a black person say to me, hey, I don't, I don't want you to use that poster anymore because I, I don't agree with the Black Lives Matter m- movement. And I was so... So shocked because I'm, I'm like, but you showed up to the photo shoot and you signed a waiver, but it, the the political the political nature of it, I, I don't know what to do to heal that. And I will, if you have any thoughts on that,
2: one conversation at a time, and not when somebody does or said something that's like, ah, uh, not to uh but to help me understand what where you're coming from. Because if we attack people, or then they're not going to talk, and we got to talk to understand or or it will stay where we're at so we have to create environments of safety to say why is that bothering you to understand why does the black lives matter movement bother you and then listen without you know being defensive but i think we just don't talk anymore it's and it, it happens to all of us we have our triggers and that trigger and then you're over it but we've got to remember we're all humans having this experience and if if you break it down you know i tell people at work all the time i'm in hr i say nobody's born in an a-hole. Life makes them that way. So when there's a Stephen Covey thing on the paradigm shift. When you understand what people have been through and you think, how could you think that way? When you talk to them and kind of get to know them, you go, hmm, you've had some trauma in your life. I get it. How can I help? And I think if we can do more of that and less anger and less fight, but how can I help? Because you, you clearly have some things going on. So that's just one perspective. I guess.
1: Yeah, um, I um, totally agree with what you said as far as, like, being tired. And where is, like, the line between being informative and, like, helping your peers understand your, you know, insert here, but – and, like, being a advocate for yourself and educating and, you know, they're on – they're so forth and, yeah – does that make sense? Does that question make sense? Like, where is that line? Where do we draw that line and, like, do some, edu- do some work for yourself and, like, educate yourself versus us having to do it? I think the line is when you're tired. You're allowed to be tired. And racism is not a black person's problem, if we can just be clear. We are the target of that thing. It should not be our responsibility to dissolve that thing. And when people come to you and are asking, um, and are asking you what can they do, I always ask, well, what have you done? Don't ask me, what can you do? Tell me what you have done. Have you had a conversation with your neighbor? Have you read about the Black Lives Matter movement or whatever? Do you understand why people are feeling the way that they feel? Have you reached out to a black person other than me? Because this is the 30th time in the month (laughs) that you have asked me a black question. Are there other people that you can reach out to? You really have to guard your own energy. Um, in all spaces, but it's, it's, it's especially exhausting um, in this climate right now when people are looking for... It, it's very lazy to me. It feels very lazy to me um, a lot of times because n- no one has put even any thought into an answer. And, you know, I would never go... I would never ask my professor a question without having an opinion already formed. I would never ask my boss... A question without having some semblance of an understanding of what is going to come back at me like people who are asking, what can they do? The response really is what have you done? And it's not rude. And it's not angry. It is your responsibility to do the research to understand the struggle to understand the trauma so that you can have a better conversation with someone once you understand where they have where, where they have come from Marvin
4: did you have Yeah um so so we're here all right doesn't matter how we get here we're here we got here we're here um and there's a sh- shared responsibility. And yes, unfortunately, um, you do get tired. And you do get to, to opt out of, of, uh, of some of it. You know, rest. You get to rest. But we do get to, just like we, we advocate for ourselves in, you know, we, we, we came out of the womb advocating for ourselves. Wow! Feed me. <laughs> right? That, that won't stop. And so we are here in a black body or a female body or LGBT. B2Q body. However, there, If you're unfamiliar with it, there's a there's an element of fear, and there's a certain responsibility, a joint mutual responsibility to dispel the fear through dialogue, through conversations. And so we need courage on one side, and we ha- we need. Um, uh, uh, so we need courage on both sides, actually, right? And sometimes when you don't feel like talking, you might have to talk. But most times, you, you can stop talking. And I agree with you. Um, racism is, is not um, a black person's problem or, or any other minority group's problem. Discrimination is, is not um, our problem. Discrimination is not a problem, actually. Ooh. are waiting for the right. Right? Every day, we get up and we discriminate. Do we go left? Do we go Right. Right? Do I slow down? Am I going to make that light? Um, discernment is required. Condemnation is not. Right? So we must discriminate. We don't have to condemn. And I think it's the condemnation that follows the discrimination based on your biases that we're trying to, to eliminate. I, can't, I want you to see me as a black man. And I don't want you to see me as a black man. Right? But I don't want you to judge me Either positively or negatively, because if I take your positive judgment, because I'm a black man, I'm gonna have to take your negative judgment. I just want you to see me as a black man, child of God, who are walking this earth just like you are. So you you can get tired, but I think there's a there's a mutual responsibility, like we do with everything else, to engage in that dialogue. And sometimes we do get tired. Sometimes we have to we we have to talk through it. Um, but you get to say no, not not today. I, I honestly, I um. My daughter called me up, and she said, during uh, the, George, the protest with George Floyd, and she said, Dad, why, why aren't you angry? I was like, yo, I'm angry. Um, my way is different. I'm, I'm not your age. I want you to march. I want you to do all those things. But me, I'm doing systemic change. So you, you, get, you get to act. You get to react. You get to do it your way. So my way is to shift the system by which we educate our our folk, our young people so that they can show up in, a te, in an ed tech space or in a tech space and just be, one again. Just be a techie, right? Not a not a, a black woman in tech, or an Asian woman in tech. Just yeah, that's a techie. And underneath that is like they're nerdy, right? We kind of, we kind of like that.
0: <laughs> one more question, right here. Yeah.
4: Thanks for an awesome panel. You guys are amazing. Um,
2: I feel like I I want to be a good ally, um, and I feel like I fall into this trap. Of like uh, like white savior, right? And and like you know, running towards black people, saying, "Let me help organize a BRG or whatever." And so, so I just any advice about like, again, I want to be a good ally, but I also don't want to like I've got a lot of white male privilege that I recognize, you know. And so, like, how can I ba- balance that so it's not about me, you know? And that I can just again like be be a good ally and help organize, but not make it about me. So
1: I, I love that you said the the white savior. Complex, because that's the thing. That's a real thing. That's for you all who don't know. That's when white people go to Africa and then they take pictures with little black children who have flies around them and like d- just no shoes. And they're like, "Look at what I did today." It's the white savior complex that forces them to do that. It is not about anything else. Oftentimes, what makes a really good ally in a, in a white man is when he allows for the other people who he is being an ally to, to have their voices heard. It is not, um, being an ally is not your space to make it about you. It is totally about the underserved group or the underrepresented population. And it is for you to use your power to give them a platform on which to be heard. And that is how you become a great ally. You do that by saying names of people in spaces that they would never have the opportunity to be in. Bringing up, you know, sponsoring people, um, mentoring people who don't look like you. Giving people the opportunities that they wouldn't have that you have um that's really important especially in business um especially in tech um, and making sure that you're not centering yourself make sure that the people who you are working to help are being the center if that's helpful i hope Yeah, thank
0: you for that question, and we appreciate everyone coming out today. Wasn't this an amazing panel? Um, I mean, I I love hanging out with these guys. So in true fashion, um, we're just going to have appetizers and food, and I want to highlight Rita. Rita, could you stand up? Rita is uh, the most amazing baklava baker in the state I mean all over all over the nation it is truly to die for Um, I'm so grateful that she came here and she brought um, her baklava to try so please try it and we love seeing you know successful black-owned businesses in in our in Utah it does exist it does exist Mm -hmm. Um, so please stay enjoy um, and thank you for coming to this panel thanks everyone